right before we began, Father and I were singing show tunes today. No, I, no, that's not true. Michael was singing, I feel pretty. I uh, feel pretty. You get, you get to ask him why he's singing that. I don't really feel pretty. I just, why? I was just in my head. You, you were feeling sick is what you told me. I do have a little bit of a cold. I, the, um, the consequences of having a kindergartner are that she brings home bugs. And so she had a sore throat last week. I had a sore throat Sunday morning. I don't know if you could tell or not. I could not tell. So anyway, so yeah, today now it's, uh, it's just getting sparse, my voice, but it's all good. My, my uh, niece, who's also in kindergarten in another state, had a fever already last week. So school germs are back. That's a good thing. Welcome to uh, parenting. Yeah. <laughs> parenting 101. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 23 Podcast. And welcome to... Uh Germ City, the, USA. Germs, well, I'm I'm good though. It's funny because weren't we just last week talking about hand sanitizer and my <laughs> germ germ? Hello, everybody. I'm Father Herb, and the other guy sitting across the table from me is Germs Are Us, Michael Puppis. Good to be with all of you. Uh, hey, okay. uh, Father and I just had a, an invigorating training. We have all these little training sessions for the church, and we were just. And we, did you notice we have to sign off on each one of them that we went through the training, saying that we were present. So that means if anything goes wrong in the first year, it's going to be on us because we were trained. Today's training was on the new lights, how to turn them on and turn them off. It's a little more complicated. Wax off. (laughs) A little more complicated than that, but there's different settings for different purposes. Yeah, I think it's going to be really beautiful. I think my takeaway is we're going to be able to create some really beautiful environments for prayer in this new space. So I'm excited about that. I went back to the list that our worship space committee put together six years ago. Yeah of things they wanted to see in our new church building. Mm-hmm. And one of those was effective use of light. Yeah, I think they should be pleased with that then. This okay. is going to be really nice. Now, should I tell everybody, we also had a training for the for the electric blinds. Did we I, Did we talk about that last week? Was I don't that on know. Tuesday? I think we talked about that last week. Okay, you push this button and they come down, and you push yeah. that button and they go back up. It's really complicated. By the way, I, 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 I think there was a little glitch in it over the weekend. I was trying to show somebody. And the one, I pushed the button, and one of them did not go down. Oh, see, now you broke it. No, I pushed it a second time, then it did. Oh. Well, they told us that, that sometimes it might take a second touch. <laughs> hey, so we promised a couple of weeks ago that we were going to take some time leading up to the dedication mass to kind of talk about the liturgy a little bit. One, for those of you that are going to be attending, so you kind of have an advanced notice of what to watch for, uh, but also maybe for those of you that won't be there, uh, so that you can kind of understand what goes into the dedication of a church. Uh, and so Father and I sat down, we kind of divided some different parts of the Mass up into five basic segments, and we're going to take the next five weeks, just for a minute or two, to talk about the different parts of the Dedication Mass. So today we're going to start with the introductory rites, uh, which is very aptly named, appropriately named, the entrance into the Church. Now, that might seem strange, but it is very significant. Ideally, if we lived in a, a world that w- where we had all the time in the world, we could start with everybody outside the building. Mm-hmm. You know, 900 people, 1,000 people, whatever it might be. And it starts at the door. And the, the door is locked, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be kind of symbolic. In reality, probably a lot of people will already be in their places because if we had everybody outside and processing it at once, it would take 45 minutes till they found their place. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it actually starts even beyond the door because it's about processing from your original place of worship. So for us, that yeah. would be the parish life center. I love in the ritual, it even says you could go to a neighboring church. 
So we're going to start down at St. Rose. And we're going to walk four miles. <laughs> no, it's, but anyway, at least a few of us, including the bishop, will be outside. Mm-hmm. And a member of the parish, probably from pastoral council, presents him with a symbol of the new building, whether it's a key or the, the drawings or something. So we have to figure out exactly how we're going to do that yet, but that will be presented to the bishop. He'll accept it and immediately give it to me. So if it's a key, he gives it to me as the pastor. I get to unlock the door. And he says to you, Father Weber, I now kindly invite you to open the door to this new parish church. And that's your world to go, all right, Bishop Thomas. All right, Bishop Thomas. And uh, open sesame. Before that, though, what's really cool is that he actually is going to quote Pope John the Twenty Third, and he says, Pope St. John the Twenty Third said, Christ Church is above all the spiritual temple where every Christian knows he has his place. He knows he has it, and he is aware of his duty to keep it with honor, dignity, and grace. So even St. John the Twenty Third gets to be a part of that, that opening piece. And once you open the doors... Um, the bishop will say, go within his gates, giving thanks, enter his courts with songs of praise. And then normally, if you've ever been to a big mass with a bishop, there's a, a formal procession. And guess who gets to come up last in the procession? Usually the bishop. The bishop. This is the one time where the bishop comes in first. Now he's led in by a cross. Which is beautiful, so that, and not just a cross, a crucifix. Yeah, the cross bearer with the crucifix, the processional cross for the altar. That Christ is leading into the church. And then the the bishop bishop leads and other people follow into the building. Mm -hmm. So we go up to the front. And one of the things, keep in mind, the building is already beautiful. The building already keeps us out of the elements. The building is already artistically decorated but we're going to transform something beautiful to something sacred. And that's what the ceremony is about. Mm. It's almost like a baptism. The baby is already beautiful and very beloved, mm-hmm. but at the end of the baptism, the baby is also now claimed for Christ, that's which a, is what happens. That's a great metaphor. It's a beautiful metaphor that I did not make up. Uh, it came from, uh, Dan Dembski and father Serrata when they were here helping us, uh, understand better the, the right of dedication. Yeah. So that's just the part we want to go over this week, kind of these introductory rites before we start. And I'm going to make also the clarification or let you guys know over the next couple of weeks, even in our Sunday mass celebrations throughout the month of September and October, I'll be introducing a few new songs at mass. Uh, one that we've been wanting to sing for a while, but also because we're going to be using them at the dedication mass. And I want them to be somewhat familiar somewhat by the time familiar. we get there. So if you are a good singer, you are allowed to come to the dedication mass. Nah, we want everybody to come. <laughs> if if only good singers were allowed to come to the dedication mass, Father Weber, I, I don't think I, you would be allowed would, to come. Oh, <laughs> I'd be down at Mr. Freeze. Okay, thank you. Oh, I'm going to get a lot of flack for that one. Thank, thank you. Where are you going to work next year? Uh, I don't know. St. John the 23rd in <laughs> Sydney, Australia. Okay, we, we get up to the front. We get up to the front. And what do you do to claim a church? You purify it. Mm-hmm. And we use holy water. And the bishop loves the full, fullness of the symbols. And so he's going to be probably sprinkling water over people, over the walls, over the altar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so water is a symbol of life. It's also a symbol of um, dedication or commitment. Sure. And we'll pick up there as well next week with the sprinkling. Yeah. Remember, the whole mass is the same 
structure as any Mass. There's Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist. Most of the actual dedication takes place between the Liturgy of the Word and Liturgy of the Eucharist. So next week we'll get into the Liturgy of the Word and how the Church is claimed for that as well. So stay tuned, exciting things happening. But in the meantime, let's jump into this week's Scripture reading. And that was my segue, Liturgy of the Word. So let's talk about this week's reading. Still Mark chapter 7. Are we starting with the Gospel today? Uh, yes. I. I would like to read it. It's kind of a cool story. Again, Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took the man off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched the man's tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and groaned and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed and the man spoke plainly. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished and they said, he has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, before we say anything else, that last line, he makes the the deaf hear and the mute speak is a direct reference back to the first reading of this Sunday, which is from the prophet Isaiah. Would you like to read that? No, I'm going to let you read that. Would I like to read that? It's very short. It's very short. Uh, Michael, would you like to read it, please? I would. Thanks for asking. Thus says the Lord. I can't even get past the first line. (laughs) (laughs) Thus says the Lord, say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. With divine recompense, he comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. Streams will burst forth in the desert and rivers in the steppe. The burning sands will become pools, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Okay, so the passage from Isaiah is just this beautiful image of the new reality, the new world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's echoing in how the that God has not forgotten the people and is going to bring them back with great hope. Mm -hmm. And of course, the sign of God's presence is overcoming all these difficulties, and the blind will see. The deaf will hear. Uh, they will be able to, you know, I love the, the lame will be leaping. Uh, can you see the, the, bl- the lame, you know, just leaping around out of sheer joy? Mm. Um, streams will burst forth in the desert. Isn't that beautiful? They're very vivid images. They're wonderful images. So you've got to remember the gospel, which I just read, mm-hmm. has to be taken on several, le- several levels. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is what happens. We record on Tuesday, and we all had Monday off, so Tuesday is kind of a hard day to get going. It, it's it's the Monday of Tuesday. It's the Tuesday Monday. Correct. Right. So you could take the gospel at the first level. It's a beautiful healing story. Jesus mm-hmm. restores healing to the deaf man, and because he's able to hear, he's also able to speech mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. He, he gets over the speech impediment. You could take it at that level, and that's fine. But it's way more than that. It's a reminder to the people that something great is happening. It's a reminder that 
the Messiah is coming. It's a reminder that God has not forgotten any of them, not just the deaf man, but God has not forgotten any of them. Would Mark's audience have known that reference to Isaiah? Oh, oh, definitely. In the last line. Yeah. So he's very purposely putting that in there. There's no question at all. Um, Matthew's gospel is the one where it's basically Hebrew people who have become Christian. Mark's gospel is more Gentiles, but Gentiles who also uh, may be uh, conscious of the background. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, they would still be able to find that fulfillment. You know, the one thing that's interesting that's uh, not in here is that you don't get the reaction of the man that was healed. Wouldn't you want to know, you know, you get the, the, the reaction of the crowd and the people around. But so what was the experience like for that man? This could go in your book of stories the gospel's never told. Yeah. I'm um, going to, it's getting, my book is getting pretty thick. Have you ever seen, there's different video, it, I, it reminded me of YouTube because the Bible reminds me of YouTube. Um, <laughs> there's videos online you can see of like children, even adults or babies that have had a cochlear implant that the first time it's turned on, so they were deaf or almost deaf, completely deaf um, from birth, and they had an implant put in, and when it was turned on for the first time, and the first time they could hear and their reaction to it is beautiful. I mean, just immense tears um, to be able to take in sounds around them. Um, but even I can imagine for a child, especially how scary that must must be to go from this very quiet world or silent world to all the inundations of sound. Like how, that how, we do you, have. how do you discern it? Yeah. Uh, a woman in our parish just had a, an implant, cochlear implant, two, three weeks ago. Oh, really? And... She was sitting in the pew, and I came up to the one side Sunday before Mass, and I said, I said to her, I was on her right side, and I said, so how are you doing? And she looked at me, and she said, you're on the wrong side. The implant's on the other oh, side. Oh, really? <laughs> Not so much for that. Yeah, so I tried. Okay. A for effort. But, you know, it, it's um, at that level, how often do we take it for granted the senses that we have? you know, and that Jesus was able to, to heal this man. Okay, that's the other thing, though. The You have to remember restoring what was lost is a sign of the kingdom of heaven. You know, people often ask, well, why did Jesus work miracles? Was it just, we were taught when I was a kid in grade school, Jesus worked miracles to prove that he was divine. Well, of course, there is that element. Mm-hmm. But that's actually one of the least important parts of it because he played it down. He, he tell his told, divinity. He played down his divinity. Well, he, no, he played down the miracle. Oh, the miracle itself. He didn't play down his divinity. He played down the miracle because he did not want people just to be seeking the miracle. He wanted people to get to know the one who did the miracle, the miracle workers. Well, isn't that interesting? Because most times after he does something, his immediate reaction is, no, don't tell anybody. And immediately they go out and tell everybody. Well, we, wouldn't you? Well, how could you keep it to yourself? There's no way. Unless unless Jesus told me not to, then I would probably think twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, so it's it's like he, the miracle is not about divinity in itself. It's like the restoration and the kingdom of God, and of course, the divinity is the one that's the the divine one is leading us to that. Mm-hmm. But don't get caught up in the miracle itself. Jesus either says, it's your faith that saved you, or don't tell anybody. But believe in the person. 
And with this restoration of your hearing, now you, you represent the kingdom of God, which is a fullness, uh, the pristine world again. Mm-hmm. Also, notice the beginning of this story that people brought the deaf man to Jesus. That is very significant. Why? Well, we don't know why that they felt it necessary, but it's like people bring other people to Jesus. Now, would the deaf man have come on his own? I don't know. Maybe he didn't ask. I didn't ask him. He didn't hear you ask. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, but we don't know why he didn't. But he needed the help of someone else. It's not unlike the the man that was crippled. And they, they brought him to Jesus' house and let him down through the roof because mm. there was a crowd. Mm-hmm. Again, it was the other people who brought him here there. Now, he was, he was lame and could not get there on his own. Yeah. So sometimes we need the help of other people to get to Jesus. Well, and it's a reminder, too, that we are called to bring Jesus or to bring other people to Jesus. Right. Right. Like, if it's something that's so important to us that we should have a desire to share that with other people whether it's in our church or at work or at school or wherever that may be. I remember hearing secondhand about a speaker who was quoting a statistic, and it said, if people in a church, a church of any denomination, if people in a church promote their church, and if they go out and advertise and they talk about the church, the church grows in size. Mm -hmm. But this, and I don't have this, the, tr- the exact statistic. But if those same people, they don't promote the church, but they promote Christ being found at that church, then the growth is even greater. Mm. So it's easy to talk about your parish. It's fine to tell people you like your parish, uh, but you don't want it to stop there. Well, it can't because the church should be a channel to Christ. Well, the church is the body of Christ, but we don't want the body without the head. The um, one, because that would be gross, but two, because I understand what you meant there. Yeah. <laughs> I caught you off guard. That, okay. <laughs> that was um, very intentionally why we have done this whole discipleship series this summer. Uh, you know, this is a place for discipleship and all of those different things that qualify our church. Yes, this is a place for families. This is a place for students. This is a place for uh, coming up next weekend. We're going to be talking about this is a place for community with our disciple groups. But ultimately, this is a place for cookies after mass. All of those things are because this is a place for our discipleship of Jesus Christ. And we really want to make that front and center of who we are as a church that, yes, we're not just here to serve ourselves or to go to mass and have cookies on Sunday or just to sing. You know, if if my job was just to sing music, you know, people ask me a lot. Do you ever play anything else besides church music? I genuinely feel very uncomfortable playing non-church music, whether it's traditional music or contemporary music. You throw like a classic, I don't know, Don't Stop Believing in front of me or something. It's a great song. Don't stop. Great song. Yeah, don't sing. Remember, you're not going to come to the dedication <laughs> mess. Um, it's fun to play. I just feel very out of my element doing it because I feel like, I don't know, I, I personally feel like as though the God has entrusted me with using my music for a higher purpose. Does that sound trite? No, I don't mean for it to. 
Am I making sense? You're making a lot of sense. I'm a little surprised because I've heard you play classical music when you did your recital. Oh, I guess I, classical music I would put in a different category because there's no text to it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, I just hope that my music, or our music, it's not mine, our music leads people to Christ. It doesn't lead people to a great musical experience, but it, it leads people to worship, to prayer. That's my goal. Now, because we're talking about the deaf man, did you catch last week at the five o'clock mass uh, where, because at five o'clock mass we have uh, American Sign Language interpreter mm -hmm. and there's usually two, maybe three men and once in a while a woman mm -hmm. present who are hearing impaired. Yeah. But last week one of them was um, either clapping or making a, a noise in unison with the music, which I thought was great. Hmm. Did you catch it? I didn't catch that, no. Yeah. It, it, it just struck me like everybody gets to participate in their own way. It was beautiful. Well, Rod has asked I, me. I don't get a, I'm not allowed to sing with my microphone on, but I turn it off so I can belt it out. <laughs> One of the men that sits up there, we talk, he and I talk quite a bit either before or after Mass, sometimes um, with the help of his wife translating. Yeah. And uh, he's asked before, could he have a speaker near his chair or something so he could, he could at least feel the vibrations? Feel the vibrations of it. Of the music, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so much could be said, but we're running out of time. But we are participating, and that's the other thing. You you said, what's the rest of the story for this man? Mm -hmm. Once he got his hearing back, and once he, he was uh, free of his speech impediment, he probably spoke often and loudly to everybody about what the transformation that had taken place in his life. Sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it. It's been fun. Boy, the time goes fast. Next week, we will talk some more. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on the 23 Podcast. <laughs>